The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Okay, so now we're going to move into this time of um, Q&R. Let me see what our, how our time is doing. Um, good. Okay, so we had three different sections in our series on personal renewal, community, like church renewal, and then finally that overflowing in city renewal. And we're going to just look at one question for each of those, uh, those sections. I'll do two of them, and then we're going to have Michael come up for the, the middle question. And so the first question is, how do we make space for the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and as a church community? That's an important question as we think of renewal. And we can't think of renewal without the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think we've got to realize, right, as a diverse church with different backgrounds, we, we, we come from different perspectives, right? Some of us are, have backgrounds where we're, we're far more used to seeing, right, uh, the Spirit manifesting in more uh, public ways. We're, we're more comfortable having things be spontaneous and unplanned, or the, the prophetic or the miraculous, and, and, and that's something that's a conviction of us, that we, we, we want to see more of that, and that's a value. Other of us are from traditions where that makes us feel more uncomfortable, or perhaps we've seen abuses of it and things of people going overboard, and we're just like, you know what, I'd, I'd, I'd rather, I'm kind of open, but I'd rather be cautious or just like keep that behind closed doors. And, and, and I, I think what we have to agree is that we shouldn't let our, our experiences, where we've come from, or our traditions be the primary influencer of how we think about the Holy Spirit. Right? Whatever side you're coming from, we shouldn't let our experiences be the primary determiner of what we believe about the Spirit. It needs to be the Scriptures. And if that's our starting point, there's just two principles I think that we need, and I'm going to kind of set the stage before answering the question. Two essential principles in understanding the work of the Spirit in our lives. The first is, if we're going to think about the Spirit, we have to consider the Father's purpose that Jesus be known and loved and honored and that he be preeminent in all things. The Holy Spirit is not about getting a name for himself and just, just putting on big shows and impressing people with power. The Holy Spirit is humble and the Holy Spirit seeks to honor Jesus. And that's the Father's purpose. And so the, the Holy Spirit comes to honor Jesus. And the second peace or truth that we need in considering the Holy Spirit is that is Jesus promise to be present with his people through the Spirit. Okay? So the Spirit comes to honor and glorify Jesus and the Spirit is actually Jesus coming to be with his people. And with that, let's just look at uh, three short scriptures as we consider that. This is from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 14. And he says this. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
And so you see that the Holy Spirit, right, is the Spirit of Christ. It's Christ coming to dwell with his people. And he desires a deep and personal relationship with us. He desires a fellowship personally of where, where there's communication, right? Where there's, where there's a give and take and a mutual understanding, where there's mutual knowing, where there's affection. The Holy Spirit comes to give us an experience of God's love for us. Romans 5 says that that the love of God is poured out, is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And in that experience of the Holy Spirit coming, that the love of God is not just, oh, it's a concept I know, I believe it, I agree with it, but it actually gets communicated to our hearts. It actually gets, gets poured out, shed abroad in our hearts is that old language for it. This is an experience that goes beyond just the intellect, just the thought process, to an actual experience of affection and friendship and intimacy. And the second piece where we see Jesus as the center of the revelation of the Spirit is is in John 16, verse 13. He He says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is taking the things of Jesus, the teachings of Christ, and declaring them in new and in present tense ways to our hearts. And so the result of the Spirit's work in our lives is that personal fellowship with Jesus, and it it includes real present-day communication, revelation, and even specific application of the words of Jesus. That's what it says here. The Spirit is communicating the words of Jesus to his people. Then there's that personal transformation, right? Jesus is glorified by the Spirit when our lives are transformed, right? When our, our lives are conformed to the image of the Son, That's the goal of our sanctification. That's the goal of our Christian growth. And so that's how we honor Jesus as we're conformed. And he he challenges the issues in our hearts and the idols and and, and the things we keep hidden. He changes us. And then he gives us his power, the power of Jesus. Right? The spiritual gifts, the, uh, the word gifts, the service gifts. Jesus had all the gifts. And he served and used in his ministry. And he, and he says crazy things like greater things, uh, things than these will you do. That there is a carrying on of the mission of Christ and the power of Christ through his church in the world. And then finally, there's this piece of personal assurance of our adoption. Right? In that, that previous verse we read, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Right? He says, I have adopted you. You're my son. Or you're my daughter. But when the Holy Spirit comes, again, in Romans 8, it it speaks about the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. It's this this term of of like daddy. It's intimacy. And and it's a spirit of it. It's a a crying out that that you know. There's there's times where you're like, you feel alone. You don't know if God's with you. You don't know what's going on. And then the Holy Spirit comes and shows up. And you know without a doubt that you are his child, that he loves you, that he is your father, he's your daddy. That, that's that spirit of adoption and assurance. And we have that. Now, finally, that's the foundation. 
If we don't have a common understanding of who the Spirit is, and that was like the full-on fire hose uh, version of it, but if we don't have a common understanding of, of the, the work of the Spirit in the world, we're never going to know how, how do we practically make space for Him in our church, right, in our lives. If we have that foundation, though, here is that, that foundation. I need to go backwards. My backwards button doesn't work. Will you click me back um, to that, the previous? There you go. Here is the clearest scripture that, that, that I know of that speaks to how then we give space to the Spirit and how we ask him to come. This is from Luke chapter 11, and Jesus just says this. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? He's a good father. He wants to give his spirit abundantly to his people. And so that's that invitation. Ask for it. Ask for the Spirit to come. So here's the practical application, how we give space for the Holy Spirit, is we take time personally each day in the morning and throughout our days to ask for the Holy Spirit, to ask for him to be speaking to us, to be leading us, to be helping us to see where he's at work in the world, whether we're in class, whether we're on our job, whether we're out jogging, Whatever we're doing, whether in a little Bible study, we take time to ask and say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach us? Would you, would you lead us? Would you change us? And then notice, right, what happens if you ask and then you're like, okay, on to what's next, right? Or immediately you're like, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention. Lead me, teach me. Okay, back to the grind, right? And then you miss it. Right? And he, and he, he sends something. He sends a word. He, he sends a person in need to minister to. He send, and then you miss it. And so it's that, that asking and then the waiting. And then finally the expectation that he will answer this prayer. If you don't ask, you don't take time to wait, and you don't have a real significant expectation, you're going to miss it. Because he's humble. Because he comes quietly. So often. And so I want to encourage us as a church, individually, and then in our home communities, in our Bible studies, in our gatherings, in our, as we have family worship, whatever it is, or even Sunday morning, that we do that. We ask for the Spirit to come. We take time to wait, to let Him speak, to let Him lead. And then we actually have an expectation that He will show up. I, I love it. I've been uh, being uh, mentored by Norm uh, Cook over this last semester. And so often he loves to read about the power of the Spirit to show up in miracles. He's like, we need more of that in our church. I'm like, amen, Norm. Okay, so, especially the older generation. Hey, if you're unsure about this, talk to Norm. He will tell you how important it is in the life of our church. Okay, that's the first question. I'm gonna call up Michael now as we dig in to the second one. And this is the, uh, in that topic and the theme of, of community renewal. How do we as a church experience change relationally? Okay, and he is our, our licensed counselor of 26 years and going to help speak to um, this issue. And the question is, outside of listening well and praying, how do we walk with people as they begin to process deep wounds from the past or serious sin issues? And how do we know when to recommend pastoral help or counseling for them? How do we know when we're, we're in over our heads as we're journeying with someone through significant challenges, sins, and issues? 
Take it away, Michael. Help us out. Um, what, what I like to say is uh, after I've done, led small groups of, the, of my adult life probably 25 years. And what I like to sell, say to people is we're called to bear one another's burdens, not to solve one another's problems. Okay. Um, Do you want me to throw that scripture out? Sure. Um, it is important that we love each other oh and God. walk with each other through these things. Um, that Galatians 6.2 and 6.1, you know, it, it talks in 6.1 about if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore a person gently. <clears throat> but watch yourself. In other words, you, you have feet of clay. You're, you're having the same problem. When we do small groups, particularly, which is one of the things that we are committed to doing, um, the, we have to remember the main purpose of a small group is to walk with, with each other and develop deep relationships and community. It's not to solve each other's problems. And so you need to keep the focus on that. When you have somebody that's really hurting in your group, I would recommend you ask, what does it look like to walk with a person in their mess. Often we get very uncomfortable and we want to draw them up out of the mess. And sometimes that is appropriate, but most of the time it is their mess to clean up. And we need to love them while they're in it and, uh, and, and be patient and, and uh, be careful of your discomfort in being with them in their problem. Because your own discomfort can become the center rather than what is God doing and how do I love somebody who's in this spot? When you're talking in your group, um, ask clarifying questions and be more curious about the people that you're with than you are the problem they're describing. Too often we wanna analyze and interrogate, did you do this, did you do that, did you do this? And, and it, the person gets lost in the whole thing. And we want to be real careful to be curious about that person and where they are and, and what they are doing. If, if you want to be helpful, the, one of the best things to do is ask them, what do you plan to do? How do you think you should deal with this? Um, in my small group, we have a rule that we don't give advice. Uh, advice needs to be exceptional. Uh, the reason is advice giving shifts you from listening to what can I do and how do I get in my head to find the pieces to put this together and help them solve that. And there's a great big difference. That, that often becomes about the person trying to solve the problem. And, and again, it's about our discomfort. And then, then the other person feels like a problem that everyone's trying to solve. Um, what you can do is offer to check on them. Text them, call them, find out where they're at. Make sure somebody in your small group is staying connected to them. Uh, we're to walk with one another. What does that look like? Because for some of it, it is a text. For others, we need a phone call or a visit. And then I, I recommend offer practical help if you want to offer help. And you know, wait till a discussion in a small group is done and after. Babysit somebody's kids, help somebody paint their house. Um, go take them out for coffee and get them out of their gloom and dark place. Um, do something like that to be a blessing. Um, 
don't be careful of uh, doing the counseling because you ch if, if you want to counsel someone, uh, there, there is a time for that, but you take a position of power and authority over somebody, and you need to be really careful with that. I, I have a special section on advice giving and problem solving because it can be, it, I think it is in our culture that we really like to be the one giving the, solving the problem and giving the advice and helping people out that way. And I know I suffer from that, but at least I get paid to do it. <laughs> it in a small group, it, it should be the exception to the rule um, and advice giving and problem solving. Advice giving will kill a group. What it will do is keep the group very shallow. And it'll be about where the brave people come and share their problems and we all analyze that rather than um, what, what God is trying to do in our small group is get us to open our heart because all of our, all of our sin work is about changing our heart. It's about letting Jesus into that place and there's something amazing that happens when you do this in a community and you let other people see your heart at the same time they get, you get to see their heart and you walk together you get away from the idea that there's the fixers and the broken, and it's just all us broken people. Um, I, read, I, I heard a saying once, uh, the gospel is one beggar telling the other beggar where to find bread. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not about having it together. And so if you feel like you really need to offer some practical advice, wait till after the group. And remember to ask that person, can I give you advice? Be careful. A lot of the time, they may have thought of the advice already. Um, and it may be taken not as helpful, but insulting. Mm -hmm. And a lot, most people won't tell you they're insulted. They'll just smile and nod. Mm -hmm. And then your, abil your ability to get them to listen to you later is greatly diminished. And you don't want that. Mm -hmm. When you do advice giving, it shifts away from sharing at a level that you want to be sharing in a small group. We all want this, but it scares the living daylights out of us just to say, I'm broken. I don't know what to do with my child. I, I, I try to pray I can't. I'm not getting along with my wife. Or I'm stuck in this habit or whatever. But it, it, if it becomes something that, that people are going to analyze and dissect, Nah, for most of us, you just don't want to do that. And so I want, I want to encourage you not to do that when you're sharing in a small group, or even just with a friend, be careful with that. In terms of uh, if you are stuck in a small group, don't stay in over your head. The elders really want to help you out. Um, you need to ask for help with people that hit your hot buttons, which is they tend to wind you up, or your soft buttons, soft spots, which is where they'll tend to drain you dry. They'll hit your feel guilty if I don't help you button, okay? If the issue is too draining or distracting for the whole group, ask for help. Sometimes the group needs to make an adjustment and learn to love somebody that's there. Other times we can help you and uh, come around you and give you the extra support and encouragement that, uh, that you need. Remember, groups are about having broken people come together and figure out what it means to follow Jesus at the same time. Um, 
and then and somebody has a hard time following conventions of the group. Uh, there are rules and social practices each group has, and if after a while they're not following them, then yeah, you ask for help. Um, I do have a list. Uh, we didn't have time to get it on a uh, slide, but if there's some severe conditions, mental health issues, severe addictions that are not being dealt with, um, people who are not in touch with reality or that are so angry or are off, then just usually that's obvious for people. But I have some of those, and those you want to immediately refer um, to an emergency room to a professional. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of that if you're having trouble sorting that out. Um, I would just encourage you that if you let the Holy Spirit sit there and let the problems be out there and don't be in such a hurry, but let the Spirit do the work, then it'd be amazing. Uh, in Philippians, it says this, uh, and this is one we remember a lot. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And it's Jesus through the spirit that has begun the, the good work. And he's the one that will complete it. It's not my job to finish your work. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus's job. And yes, there are practical things. I would encourage you always do practical things. Like I said, show up, babysit, have a cup of coffee, help somebody clean up their basement. Somebody's done that one for me. Um, do those things, and, and those are they're very powerful ways to show love. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. That's super helpful and practical. Okay. So, our final question is, how do we balance truth and love as we relate to those who we disagree with, especially those who don't share our Christian beliefs? And this is related to that, that uh, the theme of, of how we relate to, to culture. I think it's important that we, we realize that, that truth and love are not opposing concepts. We're not talking about truth and lying, right? We're, we're talking about... God's truth, biblical truth, and biblical love are not in conflict. In fact, they're like a garment woven together that you cannot separate. You, you cannot supposedly communicate, right, God's truth, God's, uh, God's law or his teaching or whatever, and do it in an ornery, like, judgmental, vindictive manner, right? If you're not loving in the communication of Right, the word who became flesh and the one who God so loved the world he gave his son. Like if you're not communicating the, the truth of the son with love, you're miscommunicating truth. You're actually speaking falsehood. Does that make sense? So they fit together in the same way you can't be loving to someone while misrepresenting the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. You're not loving just because you, you dance around and avoid a, uh, a truth issue or, or you, you make someone feel good and you affirm someone in their sin or in their falsehood. That's not loving. You might think you're being loving, but you're, by, by communicating falsehood about who God is or about what sin is, you're actually not loving them because you're not helping them leave that place of sin or falsehood that they're in. 
So these have to go hand in hand. They have to be uh, together. Now, I realize that that's particularly difficult in our culture. And it's difficult because, right, because of the new way our culture defines tolerance. Okay? Tolerance and pluralism are biblical concepts. Okay? It's just the basic idea, right, that, that as Christians, we believe that, that society and the state should not force beliefs on people. That we don't believe in, in a hegemony, a, 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 like a controlling of a certain philosophy, culture, or belief system that you must follow or, or whatever. Or you're, you're marginalized or you're imprisoned. or like we're, We don't believe in communist China. Like that's not how Christians have formed societies historically, right? We believe in a free, open market of ideas where ideas should be free to interact and disagree. And the best idea wins because we all have the freedom to examine and debate and discuss. And that, that's how we function. And that, that's what a biblical tolerance is. I tolerate and give freedom for the existence of opposing views, that's what pluralism is. There should be freedom to disagree. Or there's a, uh, one Christian uh, theologian has said, I disagree with you, but I will die for your freedom to disagree with me. Right? There's a deep value of freedom that we have. But that's not what tolerance is today, is it? Tolerance is not the freedom for opposing ideas to exist. It is actually the obligation to agree with those opposing ideas. So modern day tolerance actually takes away freedom. It says, you can't disagree with me. You can't say that I'm wrong. You must affirm me in whatever my beliefs or life decisions are. And in fact, the one intolerant stance is, right? The one, or you say, the one stance that is not tolerated is the stance that says there is right and wrong. There is truth and falsehood. And so the, the kind of the, the, uh, the motto of our, of our age is we tolerate all but the intolerant. And by intolerant, they mean someone who has personal convictions about right and wrong. So how do you interact then in this culture where, yes, you believe in pluralism and tolerance, um, but, but you still disagree with specific views and ideas that people have? Here's the thing. Christians for too long ha have acted intolerant. And they have been bigoted and hypocritical and holier than thou and, and created an us-them mindset. And so the problem has been with our tone, with our arrogance, with our pride. And the world sees that. And they don't just see, oh, you disagree with me or you say that I'm wrong. They also see, you don't love me. You hate me. You think I'm an enemy to your happy little traditional family. And, and so they feel that. And they feel, they don't feel loved. They don't hear the gospel when we, we have that pride and arrogance and, and, and like uh, talk radio swagger. It just, so the Bible has something to say to us about how we interact with culture. And, and it's obvious. We don't need, I don't need to tell you, oh, don't give in. Don't uh, 
like give up your Christian values. Okay, I don't think that's our problem in this room. I think our problem is, is our tone and our love and our engagement with culture. And so here's what the scriptures speak to that. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, it says this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. We're called to be gentle, right? We're called to be patient. Or a second one. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it just says this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, our culture and the culture wars and the social media left-right kind of battle, there is no gentleness and respect, right? It's name-calling, it's mud-throwing, it's just ugly. And in that culture of this, of this just, just really ugly debate, and like Christians, we have to raise above that. We have to be the people that stand up for values, stand up for pluralism and the freedom for people to disagree with us, and then do it in, with gentleness and love and respect. And the basic principle is you cannot reach someone who you do not love. And you cannot love someone that you do not know. And even if our culture de- degenerates into vitriol and name-calling, we must not give in to that rhetoric. We must, be, we must be above that. So that's how we engage with those who disagree with us in loving and truthful ways. Okay, we're going to now we get the privilege of calling up Brian uh, Stanley. Where are you at, Brian? Come on up, man. So we're going to take about 10 minutes and hear a little bit of Brian's story. Yeah, grab that one right there. In this, in this series of renewal, right, we're looking at transformation. And Brian has just a rad story of transformation of what God has done in his life. So I want to let him share it. So there is some milestone that you just celebrated in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, well, a couple things is going on. I uh, recently... Uh, Celebrated a year of sobriety. Thank you. Um, And with that, I've I've been over at the harbor uh, through the Portland Rescue Mission uh, just over a year. And I finished the program on uh, May 15th and officially graduate on, they just released the date, May 31st. So... Yeah, that's that's nutshell what's going on. Awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit. What did your life look like before deciding to pursue sobriety and and uh, going back to Jesus? Yeah, I thought for this one I would start off with reading. um, We did a a testimony uh, in a class, and I want to read a little section of that because it sort of ties into that question. So, um, I became homeless and without work, which was 
unusual for me. I adjusted nicely to that, uh, to not working quickly until I ran out of drugs. I was in desperate need of a savior. Sadly, my heart was still hardened. I finally made a deal with the court to send me to jail to get off paper. I, at the time, <clears throat> was more concerned about a roof over my head and having three meals a day. I didn't want to be homeless anymore. I was depressed when I was released from jail. I was back at the shelters or back on the street. I went back to using meth two days after getting out of jail. Um, sorry. Um, I had swore to God I would never use again. Um, yeah, I was, I was in a very difficult place. I was just totally hopeless, uh, bitter, and feeling rejected by, by God, by family, by friends. Uh, I didn't feel like I had anyone, and so I just had all these resentments uh, from false beliefs that I had growing up. Um, so it, it was a very rough, rough uh, seven years for me. But through the grace of God, I, uh, I've been able to step out of that, and um, I'm blessed. So, Praise God. Wow. How did the, some of the wounds of your past, whether it's hurt caused to you or things that you had done, how did that play a part in your, your drug use and in this spiraling downwards? Yeah, I was thinking about this question, and I was thinking, you know, I'd be lying if I said that it was just wounds from, that were inflicted upon me. Um, I definitely played a role in that, intention, un, not intentionally, uh, unintentionally. Um, you know, I, I grew up with... Uh, epilepsy. Uh, I had an open heart surgery when I was four months old. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of pain came from uh, children that I grew up with. Uh, they would make fun of my seizures. And um, I always felt um, this anger towards God. Why would you allow me to go through this? Um, why would you let my parents get divorced? Uh, at a young age, uh, not not have clarification on things, uh, understanding why it happened. Um, so I just had bitterness towards my dad, towards my mom, uh, towards my peers. Um, it was just a lot of, like I had mentioned earlier, false beliefs, uh, questioning my worth, questioning... Uh, thinking no matter what I do, I'll fail at, at things. Um, and some of those are just survivalized. Uh, some of those are projected. Um, I used to tell myself when I was homeless, I don't need anyone. Uh, I can't trust anyone. And that's, that's all rooted from uh, just uh, Satan, uh, not wanting me to be able to uh, feel that I can trust someone. Because if I'm wrapped in meth, heroin, drinking, going to jail, 
Um, he's got me right where he wants me. So, um, yeah, that's sort of wow. all yeah. I have for that, I think. Yeah. So tell us about God's faithfulness in these recent years and how you've experienced him as a loving father. Yeah, I think, um, I think I'll actually go to the next section on this um, testimony to start that off. Um, so the faithfulness started um, one night when I was homeless, um, and it says this. I found myself at the last week of being homeless, sleeping in a public restroom, which was great seemingly. I was dry from the rain and out of the wind, yet something was missing. Um, I cried out to God and said, why have you allowed all this to happen? You must not care about me. Um, almost immediately, my mind was flooded with ways that I had been provided for, uh, ways that were only possible through God. I asked for forgiveness and truly asked God to be my savior and dedicated my life to Jesus. On April 12th, 2018, I went to my mom's house to start sobering up. Um, I called the harbor on April 15th and was admitted April 19th, 2018. Um, I think that, yeah, speaking to that experience, um, in the restroom, I was filled with, with bitterness. Um, I was at my lowest point, and uh, was just really in need of of God. I remember uh, thinking about this gentleman that I interacted with one day when I was homeless. Uh, he stopped me and and asked me. If everything was okay, and I was, I, I was like, no, not at all. And he just, he just uh, listened to me. Uh, he took me out to get something to eat. He he got me a winter jacket. Uh, he bought me a pillow. He prayed with me. He was a fellow believer. Um, I was able to cry, uh, which was really powerful. Um, just to get that released from my system, because I had all these walls built up of, you know, I haven't really talked to anyone, including my parents at that point, for who knows how long, and this complete stranger is investing a couple hours, and here I am, just, this is my life. Uh, you know, so it, it, God provided there. I really needed... Uh, that interaction, and there were just tons of other interactions similar to that. I'd be at a McDonald's, and somebody would would recognize that, uh, you know, the similar question, hey, are you okay? No. Uh, and they'd provide uh, a meal for me um, right when I needed it. Um, just just moments like that where, where God was intervening, um, but I was too stubborn and blind to see it at the time. So, yeah. Praise God. Wow. So just a final question. Now, as you, as you sit here, a, a, a child of God, uh, who does Jesus say that you are? 
I think of this, and I think um, he says the opposite of what of what I tell myself, um, of what of what we tell ourselves. Um, you know, when when I'm feeling weak, he's telling me, "No, you're strong." Um, when I'm feeling unworthy. He says, no, you are worthy. You're worthy of love. You're not worthless. You're, you're a value to me. You're a child of mine. Um, and uh, you have a purpose, which I never felt before. Um, I'm going to use the events that you're going through, Brian, to, to help others somehow. I'm still discovering that stuff. Um, but I thought that I would close with a journal entry to that question um, really quick. Thank you. Um, so the theme verse to my journal entry, uh, it's from March 30th, 2019, so pretty recently. Um, it's Psalm 34, 4 through 5. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Um, and then I write, uh, I think it's best to look at what the uh, definition of radiant actually means. It's beaming with happiness. If someone told me a year ago I would be radiant in the Lord right now, I would say to that person, you're crazy. <laughs> uh, the Lord is amazing and has freed me from all my false beliefs. All those did for me was hold me back from serving God with all my heart. Today I look at myself as a new creation in Christ someone worthy of love. The joy I'm experiencing is new and slightly overwhelming. Through the Lord, I'm finishing my program in now 10 days, not 46. Um, thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love. That's what I got. Let's pray, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to have a chance to actually sing that that applause and that celebration in our hearts. Lord Jesus, you bring freedom, and, and you come and meet us, um, and the vivid image of, of you showing up uh, on the floor of a of public restroom, Jesus, that you reach down uh, into our muck um, and into those deep hidden places, and you, and you bring healing and you make us new and you call us to new life.
thank you for that work in Brian. And we, even as he uh, has a hope and an expectation that you would use him, uh, you, we know that you will. We, we know that, that his testimony and, and the work you've done in his life will be used to bear powerful fruit for your kingdom in the lives of others. And we, and we pray for renewal in this city, in the, uh, in the, the drug community and the homeless community. God, that you would shine your light into dark places and make things new as you have done uh, in the life of our brother. Uh, we thank you for the harbor. We thank you for the rescue mission and those serving uh, the, the marginalized and those on the, uh, under the, the overpasses, God. And would you, uh, would you commission us to be a people uh, to bring light and to be like that brother that, that, uh, that took Brian out uh, to lunch and listened to him and prayed for him. God, thank you. Uh, there's such simple, easy things that we can do uh, to, to make you known. And we praise you now to celebrate the freedom that you bring. Amen. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.